0: The Alberta government is launching a second Alberta is Calling campaign to attract more skilled workers from Ontario and Atlantic Canada. Even after Ontario Premier Doug Ford told Alberta Premier Danielle Smith he's not a fan of the ads.
1: Canadian female powerlifter April Hutchinson is speaking up about what she describes as the unfair competition that women face when competing against transgender athletes.
0: Meanwhile, the Bank of England has announced that it will cut funding for climate change initiatives that were first championed by Canadian economist and central banker, Mark Carney.
1: And the majority of Canadians plan to ignore the government's update to alcohol consumption guidelines, according to a new report.
0: Hello Canada, it's Tuesday, March 14th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Lindsay Shepard. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. The Alberta government plans to launch a second campaign to attract skilled workers from Ontario and Atlantic Canada, despite the protests of Ontario Premier Doug Ford. The first iteration of the campaign, which ran in summer 2022, targeted skilled labor workers living in Toronto and Vancouver. Now, the second campaign seeks to attract Canadians living in the Maritimes and parts of Ontario that include London, Hamilton, Windsor, and Sudbury. In a keynote speech to Alberta Enterprise Group members on March 2nd, Alberta Premier Daniel Smith said that Doug Ford told her he didn't like the Alberta is Calling campaign in the very first call that they had together after she became premier. And Smith said, quote, I said, I bet you don't, but we're going to keep doing it because it's working. A September report from the Alberta Treasury Branch found that almost 10,000 more people moved to Alberta from other parts of Canada in the second quarter of 2022. Now, in the same quarter, Ontario lost the largest number of people to interprovincial immigration and contributed the most number of new Alberta residents. A total of 21,000 Ontarians left for other provinces, including 6,300 who moved to Alberta. Those leaving the province were largely made up of young people around the age of 25. Well, Lindsay, these numbers are really interesting, but I can tell you as someone who lives in the Toronto area that, yeah, young people, 25, seeing these signs that real estate is cheaper in Alberta and you get more bang for your buck there. I'm not surprised this campaign has been a success.
1: Yeah, it is very persuasive. And anecdotally, I do know people who have moved to Alberta in the past few months.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing all these ads throughout major subway stations, particularly Young and Bloor, which is sort of the main transfer station. Uh, in Toronto, probably the busiest transportation corridor in all of Canada. And there are just huge Alberta's calling ads saying we want nurses, uh, we want these other professions, real estate is cheaper here, you can get out to to nature much quicker. And I think that's appealing to a lot of people, particularly when they're crammed in the Toronto subway system, taking a long commute, concerns with public safety on transit, and then concerns definitely with the price of rent and the price of housing. So yeah, it's one of those situations where the message is kind of appealing. And and I, I can't blame Ontario Premier Doug Ford for not liking this campaign, but then you also can't blame Alberta for saying, well, we need workers. So uh, let's exploit some of the frustrations in Ontario.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm not one of their targeted audiences because I'm not a skilled worker with you know the trades they're looking for in Alberta but um yeah zero percent provincial sales tax very attractive um yeah I've definitely looked up the rents in Alberta although I think a lot of people would want to go to Calgary and um the prices there aren't as good but when you're looking at somewhere like Edmonton it's um compared to Vancouver or Toronto of course it's pretty amazing the the average rent and housing prices there. A powerlifter with Team Canada is voicing her concerns with the Canadian Powerlifting Union as they are allowing male to female transgender individuals to compete in women's powerlifting competitions. In an exclusive interview with True North, April Hutchinson explained how transgender women entering powerlifting competitions is inherently unfair as biological men have significant physical advantage over women. The Canadian Powerlifting Union's policy for transgender inclusion has Hutchinson and other female powerlifters concerned that women are being crowded out of competitive powerlifting and are having female records being broken by athletes who were born male. The union's trans inclusion policy states that transgender athletes are not required to disclose the fact that they are trans, are not required to undergo hormone therapy and are not required to undergo surgical intervention. Hutchinson said, quote, This policy was put out five years ago when the whole trans movement kind of came out, and it was put out to appease the trans community because they don't want to get sued, not even thinking about women. Now, Anthony, in a recent poll, it was revealed that a majority of Canadians who participate in sports want games to remain separated based on sex, age, and other characteristics. And now we're seeing athletes speak out as well. Will sports organizations come to their senses and stop appeasing the trans activists?
0: You know, Lindsay, I think so. I think we're seeing things moderate a bit more in the pendulum swinging in another direction, particularly with female athletes at a high level no longer being afraid to speak out. And when it comes to something like powerlifting, I, I mean, come on, it's just pretty clear that someone born as a biological male has a, a strong advantage there. One only need to look at what happens at gyms in terms of men weightlifting versus women weightlifting. And it's, it's kind of obvious that if anywhere, you're gonna see a bit of a pushback on it. It's this issue here.
1: Yeah, I think that's something you learn in you know PE class in grade school or high school is men just have more upper body strength. And of course, you know, women's bodies, we were we we're made to birth children. We're, we're built differently. It, but it's good that they're, I, well, I don't know if the powerlifting union is acknowledging this. I don't think they have yet.
0: And I guess the question is when we're going to see more organizations come around and acknowledge all of this. I go back to the original critique that Caitlin Jenner made of these issues, saying it's ultimately about fairness. And I think everybody knows there's a fairness issue here. It's not about inclusion or exclusion. Uh, I don't think there's people out there saying, oh, you're transgender. So you just, you know, you can't have an athletic life. You can't play sports. You can't play in rec leagues or what have you. When we're talking about high stakes competitive levels like this, I mean, clearly it's just not fair. The Bank of England announced that it will cut funding for climate change initiatives first championed by Canadian economist and central banker, Mark Carney. While serving as the bank's governor from 2013 to 2020, Carney led several sustainability efforts, including climate change insurance risks, environmental social and governance scores, known as ESG, and more. Now, according to Bloomberg News, inflation and current fiscal challenges mean that those projects will no longer get the same priority as the Bank of England dedicates more resources to traditional economic concerns. The organization Net Zero Watch welcomes the shift, saying that it's long overdue. In a press release, Net Zero Watch said, quote, its obsession with climate change, promoted and pushed through by its former governor, Mark Carney, in tandem with government ministers, has for years distracted it from its main responsibilities. Instead, it has been enforcing ESG disclosure guidelines, carbon testing balance sheets, and promoting net zero policies. Net Zero Watch director Benny Pizer urged the bank to further abandon, quote, green virtue signaling and focus on the country's financial system. Lindsay, we've seen a lot of push for green initiatives from organizations that are not necessarily doing green projects. They're just supposed to make their other business models sort of centrally focused almost on green issues and ESG. Does this here suggest that we're going to see a bit of a sea change and the pendulum will swing in a different direction?
1: Well, I know that um, I've never heard anyone in my life express any concern for an ESG score. What people are concerned about is grocery prices and cost of living. So Um, I can see why this is kind of falling apart.
0: No, certainly. It's a good point because it's one thing if you say I'm in a green energy company, I'm worried about solar panels or what have you. So every second word that you speak is about green energy initiatives. Okay, fine, makes sense. But a lot of the push we have seen is organizations that have nothing to do with green initiatives are expected to make everything about green in a way that can actually affect their bottom line and get in the way of producing their core product, their actual line of work. And we're seeing from a lot of senior financial people, Jamie Dimon is one of the leaders of of the entire American financial system uh, in terms of his work at his major bank there. And they're all saying, we got to ghost away from this now. So I guess we are going in a different direction.
1: And good on the Bank of England for uh, taking the lead on that. Maybe we'll see Canadian government follow. In an Ipsos report released on Sunday... 73% 73% of respondents said Canada's update, recommending that alcohol consumption remain below two drinks per week, is unlikely to affect their decision-making. A large portion of Canadians felt sceptical about the guideline or distrusted the government behind it. The report said, quote, Canadians don't appear set on radically changing their behaviours. In the report, 57% of Canadians said the guideline of two drinks per week is so low that it lacks credibility, and slightly fewer, 52%, said the recommendations are a fear-mongering tactic. What do you think about this, Anthony?
0: Well, it's just such a whiplash compared to what things used to be. We remember these reports saying a glass of red wine a day is good for you. And of course, that equates to being seven drinks a week. Now we're suddenly told two is the maximum that you can hit on an entire week. I think there are a lot of people who read that and thought, oh, yeah, two a day. I agree. I shouldn't shouldn't have three pints. I'll just have two pints. And they, wait, wait, wait what? No, two a week? That just seems overkill. So I think because of how uh, firm it is in the other direction, people just aren't taking it seriously. What do you think?
1: I agree that it does come off as a little bit um, nanny state-ish. Uh, it does seem very low. But I'll also say, you know, I'm a two drink a week kind of person. So uh, and I, I like the balance I have with that. Um, you know, I've got young kids at home. So it's nice to have a glass of wine sometimes. I, I hope a glass of wine is still considered one standard drink. I would think so. Um, but when you look at the research they did here, they do it on a, on a kind of sliding scale. So they say. Up to two standard drinks is, I think, a, a low risk um, of, of uh, cancer. It's, it's, they're basically linking it to cancer. And then if you have three to five, it's a moderate risk. So they kind of present it on a scale, which I don't think came across in a lot of other communications.
0: I guess it's still a shocker to be told, well, you know, you're going to get cancer if you have more than two drinks per week kind of thing, which if that's what the research is indicating in terms of risk, so be it. But I think people are also going, well, okay, I know having a burger necessarily isn't that great. I know there's really no positive benefit to ice cream aside from it just making you feel nice. So do we do recommendations about that stuff now too?
1: Well, something I found surprising was how, like you said, um, it, it is kind of, you know, the common line that one glass of red wine is maybe actually good for you and has antioxidants and is beneficial Um, and that research and science is just kind of suddenly discredited and disappeared so i'm gonna have to look into that a little more because i feel like it still might be good for you
0: (laughs) that's it for today and don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know and if you're able please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.